She didn't fuss with her hair or use the vain clutter of the dressing table, except to waste time rearranging it. Eventually, she turned to what was behind her, laid over a small unmade bed, and the chair beside it were two fancy gowns, creased and dated, suiting a younger shape and needing somewhere to go. She was sure she wouldn't wear them again. Donatella, are you in your room? The lace might be salvaged, for she couldn't be without lace, at least around her neck, and at most edging her sleeves as well. Otherwise she dressed serviceably, invisibly, in gray or dark blue. She no longer thought of being bolder, or more submissive, or in a city on a bay becoming the sea, swept away at last. It was as if someone else recalled a ship, who sailed on it, and walking down a shady alley with a stranger. There was always the temptation of mixing imagination with reality, especially as the past was otherwise inalterable. Her reflection was plain in the mirror, her hair quickly pinned, her face flushed. Donatella, I need you. She moved to a corner table, begging light from a narrow window, cleaning brushes and closing collars yet to finish curled pictures of spring or begin the next season before it did. She had painted in brighter places, dreamed in them too, and didn't care who saw her as a dreamer until she committed herself to being withdrawn and forgotten like a lunatic huddled in a corner, hardly knowing the difference between a smile and a frown. You might answer me. She took the green dress off the bed and pretended to wear it for a small stroll around the room. Then she walked into the hall as if out into the city, her city, at least as it was also born of land and sea, formed by highs and lows, ruled by outer constraint and inner abandon, safe and sorry in disguise. Of course Genova had a conceit she couldn't have, knowing its purpose and hiding or flaunting its features of beauty. Once she saw all its wonders and woes from the esplanade of Castelletto, the mountains closer, and the lanterna further away. Perhaps she made out her house— if not its signature portal of St. George and the Dragon, then a signifying shine on its roof slant. It was a prestigious place to live, depending on how she looked at it, whether connected up to a parade of palaces, across divides or down crooked stairways to the port. She was patron and prisoner of a gated entrance and more rooms than the closeness of the surrounding dwellings allowed, aspiring staircases, growing them similarly into multiple stories. She could have done without so much unused furniture, mirrors and silver to be cleaned, but was greedily accustomed to a tenanted wealth of paintings, tapestries, frescoes and stained glass, not created for outside views. There you are. What are you doing? Donatella had barely reached the doorway of her bedroom, throwing the dress in, not caring where it landed. Oh, it's so sudden. Her aunt gave her a key and feather duster for gentler work than knew best a carrying broom and bucket, hastening an end to the long vacancy of the third-floor apartment, a little unnerving to step into its past. It offered another chore for the young maid, complaining about wiping tall windows, 
while Donatella removed furniture covers and thought of her mother, sitting there, writing more letters than she ever received. The girl opened a window, and the room to the street below, a rag-waving hand jumping out. Up here, up here! Donatella felt a shiver that shouldn't have surprised her. The bumping and cursing of the movers, fading into music and poetry from La Forza dell'Amor Paterno, as performed at the Teatro Falcone, on Christmas Monday, 1678. She had worn the green dress, agreeing to excessive curls and anticipation, Nana encouraging her to fan away smoke from the chandeliers, and smile, although her shoes pinched. After the first act, sonnets fell from the garlanded boxes for those lucky enough to catch them. As much enthusiasm when the opera was finished.